pleasure to welcome everybody um, to the first in a series of special events uh, celebrating diversity within our community. Um, the first event is to mark uh, Eid al-Fitra, a special event in the Islamic calendar marking the culmination of Ramadan. Uh, it actually happened last weekend, so uh, Eid Mubarak. Our speaker is Asma Mubarak, who is Deputy Head of the Economic Section. And the topic is going to be, what is the role of Islamic finance in the global COVID recovery? So she'll be giving a talk. And at the end of the talk, we're very lucky to have uh, as a discussant, uh, the founder and CEO of Asadakat Community Finance, Akmal Hanuk, who will uh, be able to discuss the topic with her. And uh, when they finished, uh, we'll open up to the floor uh, to anybody else who wants to ask questions uh, or whatever. Okay, well, I'll pass over the floor now to uh, Asma. Yes, thanks all for uh, arranging this uh, wonderful event for me and all of us. And uh, I'll, um, I said as uh, I'm also uh, grateful to those who attend in the weekend, I mean, before the weekend visit time for this talk, hopefully uh, we'll get some home take lesson from here. Uh, anyway, uh, it would be a kind of um, academic discussion from my side. And then we can also enjoy the event in a different way with others. And uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, talk uh, with the event a little bit uh, because uh, how I see this event academically, uh, especially of Eden Ramadan, uh, here I would like to quote two verses from the holy book uh, I'll uh, do in Arabic. Uh, those who know Arabic uh, might get insight. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim. Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu kutiba alaykumu siyamu kama kutiba alal ladina min qablikum la'allakum tattakun. The verse we can extract two things. First of all, we can think that fasting, which is, uh, we do with Ramadan, is not new, is something which has been already prescribed before. And uh, the objective of fasting is to make us a better human, you know, writers or perfection to, uh, towards human, uh, I mean, struggle for per perfection, we can say. And uh, this uh, indicates that Islam is not a new religion. It's just an update, okay? And the second verse I'd like to start uh, is uh, the same chapter from the Holy Book uh, where uh, God says, Shah a'udhu billahi minash shaitwan ar-rajim, shahrur ramadana alladhi umjila fihi al-Qur'anu hudal linnas o bayyinati min al-huda wal-furqan. The meaning of this Arabic verse is uh, why Ramadan is so important is because the Quran is revealed in this month. And uh, uh, to whom the Quran is revealed, that's more interesting for me, is for guidance for whole mankind. You know, it's not only for Muslim, not only those who have faith. It's for on the word use here is Nas. It means whole mankind. And um, finally, I mean, from here is uh, why the Quran 
uh, revealed is for the guidance. Furkan, uh, the word means to show us the right and wrong. And that's why in Ramadan, what we do, we try to practice restraining ourselves from all kinds of temptation, desire, evil deeds. Like we cannot lie, we cannot do anything which is based on lying. Uh, that invalid our fasting in, in, in principle, even according to the guidance. And uh, we also do some good deeds. Uh, on the other hand, uh, that means we pay um, jaka, and jaka means two and a half percent of savings. Uh, is uh, we pay as a charity to the poor, and also sadaka. Sadaka is also Arabic word. It's, it's the top of uh, jakat is compulsory. Whereas sadaka is voluntary, and uh, this is on the top of jaka. I mean, we must pay jaka, and then we should pay extra. And this is this helps really for poverty alleviation, and I think this has both spiritual and practical uh, motivation for Ramadan. And regarding Eid, I think those who has uh, experience about Eid, during the Eid day we feed people, and uh, we also do kind of congregational prayer, I think those who have uh, experience. And during those prayer, we sit, you know, we sit down shoulder to shoulder, you know, no matter who is poor, who is rich, who is, uh, who is colored there, who is ethnicity there, uh, who is race there. <laughs> this is something as I think a uh, show off um, of our uh, inclusion of all kind of uh, people as mankind, okay? So that's basically my academic talk regarding Eid and Ramadan. Now I come to the main topic. Uh, the topic is what role Islamic finance can play for global recovery of COVID uh, pandemic. I think this topic is very, uh, I mean, uh, contemporary uh, because this is the time we have to wake up uh, after COVID uh, consequence. And uh, I think I, those who don't know me, I am Asma Mubarak. I'm from economics department already who told you. And uh, during my uh, preparation of this lecture, I came across uh, uh, with uh, Mr. Akmal. I found him, he's a practitioner on Islamic finance. So we share our knowledge, our thoughts, and uh, that's why I would like to acknowledge him. All right. So uh, the first thing is why we are concerned today. <coughs> I mean, uh, if uh, when we look at COVID picture, we find that uh, this is a source from Oxfam. You can see that COVID-19 could push half a billion people into poverty. And, and although the figure differs from regions to regions, like uh, we can say East Asia, Pacific, South Asia, the rate is high as usual, but, uh, because naturally they have also poverty, higher poverty level. But uh, it seems that we are not, uh, Nobody is, uh, I mean, I get rid of this poverty, even high income country, yeah, the figure is, is still 4.7 million. So it seems that the poverty, is, uh, I mean, our global society is seriously facing, uh, 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 I mean, uh, this is a global poverty warning for us uh, as a consequence of COVID-19. So this is the time we need to wake up and we have to think that we are not, um, I mean, nobody can, uh, uh, set ourselves alone, we have to work together uh, shoulder to shoulder. And uh, to prevent unemployment, we have to prevent, we have to think about the serious impact of uh, 
daily with our people and SME, especially industry level, health and hygiene risks, of course. And I think this is the time we should echo with Adam Smith, you know, his uh, uh, famous quote, uh, to feel mass for others and little for ourselves, to restrain ourselves, our selfishness and exercise our benevolent affection, empathy, and constitute the perfection of human nature. And I think this perfection of human nature, um, I, will, I will explain that we have to now get rid of mind, men's, mind, uh, mindset to we mindset. mindset. We have to change our mindset setting from I or mine to we and us, okay? So that's, that's the first starting. And then I will say, if we say, if we want to discuss with objective of uh, Islamic finance or how Islamic finance can uh, help. Uh, before that, I'd like to come back. I think I cannot see my picture. Michael uh, Sandel, who is a professor of Harvard uh, Law School. I, I like his um, quote that uh, he, uh, he mentioned that uh, the purpose of finance should be to serve the society, you know, to serve the real economy. And uh, that's a crisis now. And uh, I think now already corporation uh, firms or uh, we can say responsible banking is a concept already developed. That means people are now realizing the new norms and they, they are conscious now that they have to uh, do something for the society now uh, uh, to reduce this social inequality and Islamic finance basically um, I'll, I'll come back to the Islamic finance now, which is based on this principle for solving the social inequality and to solve uh, on the basis of uh, improving the real economy. Uh, I'll say here, um, the objective of Islamic finance is first of all, the fair and equitable distribution of resources. And fair of equitable and equitable distribution of resources is, you know, uh, this um, means equity, equity and equitable. There is, uh, uh, equality. There is a difference. I think sometimes we don't uh, take care of these differences. I think Islamic finance take care of the differences, depending on those. Um, you know, if there are some students here, I can say one example that if uh, there is a blind student and if there is a, a normal student, we cannot put a paper and pen and say, write it down. That is equal, but that's not, of course, equity. So Islamic finance basically refers equity and um, uh, uh, equal distribution of resources and should, uh, establishing socio-economic justice and based on uh, what we call principle in Arabic called adol or justice, you know, justice, supported equity according to the ability, you know, and uh, there should be a trade-off between moral and material growth. You know, uh, nowadays we see that, uh, that I, I say in a way that there is a difference between need and want, you know, that need, we may need, we want maybe, ever, I mean, as many as we like, like students uh, as a younger generation, we want to get rid of every iPhone, uh, uh, you know, brand every six months changing with in a di different iPhone. But that, that's basically not that, uh, that can be material, but we have to think about the environment. We have to think about uh, 
uh, our meat. And we have to think about that in the world, I mean, it's a billion of people are living under poverty line, I mean, below poverty line where we are doing kind of luxurious life. So it's, it's the time we have to think about the balance between these uh, material and moral growth. You know, we have to think about circulation of oil. Circulation of wealth means from surplus unit to deficit unit in a way uh, which is voluntary, which, which should be happily uh, distributed rather than, um, I mean, it, it should not be something uh, that it, uh, the, uh, all the funds should be uh, concentrated some some uh, surplus unit and that uh, the people will, I mean, some people will enjoy luxurious life and some people are living below poverty line. So this is uh, where the Islamic finance, uh, I, I think, uh, can play a role. Uh, the first of all, uh, because of uh, Islamic finance principle, we, uh, there are something which I, I support that can help uh, to uh, do that, uh, I, mean, I mean, change the social inequality or can uh, uh, play role in uh, social factors or social purpose or social, um, I mean, goal. What we are now know the SDC are doing uh, as a whole, as a UN goal. Uh, interest is prohibited in Islamic finance, and that could be a major uh, debate. Uh, I'd like to talk with that, and I hope that Akmal will also participate if you have any question. Of why interest is uh, prohibited under uh, Islamic finance. Uh, the argument is, you know, interest is something which encourages uh, unlimited consumption, you know, and uh, which uh, sometimes, you know, increases the debt burden to the future generation, and we don't care. We just want to use our credit card. We think that it's, it's not something, but it's, it can create some problem of those who cannot afford it and uh, 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 we create also some kind of, you know, the crisis time, the CDS, CDO, those asset securitization, which was based on total speculation of uh, uncertainty, which is to, uh, for, uh, I mean, prohibited in Islamic finance. And Islamic finance also prohibited uncertainty, unethical behavior. Unethical behavior, I'll, I'll focus on, Islam, I mean, backless back library scandal, those students who, uh, my students who are here, they know uh, the case study. And you know, the Islamic finance, uh, Islam, <clears throat> I mean, according to the guidance, we understand that human honesty, integrity, ethical, this is also a capital, you know? This is also essential if, if we want to improve the society. And this uh, this something who is uh, totally uh, prohibited under Islamic finance principle. So in short, if we want to as, uh, show in a uh, summary, I can say the ethical frame of uh, Islamic finance, um, I hope Akmal will uh, contribute later. Uh, ethical framework of Islamic finance is a total picture like this, where stewardship, you know, it's a management principle, Russell might be <laughs> interested. Stewardship is, you know, uh, where, you know, Islam, in Islam, uh, or according to the um, principle of guidance, we believe that the human being is uh, in, in chapter six, verse number 165, where God says that the human being is the successor 
or we can say vice-god, I mean Allah uh, or God sent us as a, uh, as a rank, higher rank compared to other creation. So we have the responsibility to the planet to take care as a trustee of all the resources. And uh, this is a test for us, according to faith, that if we can maintain these resources, abilities and opportunities as a trustee or amana, then actually we will be rewarded, otherwise not. So this stewardship principle is supported in um, uh, Islamic finance and benevolence is basically the act according to the guidance that we should act kindly with love, with uh, empathy, with sympathy. And um, I mean, uh, when we pay zakah, we don't feel that we are, we are doing something good to others. Uh, we feel good to others, but we are not showing that uh, I, I'm doing something great for you, or we, we cannot tell them, uh, remind them our, uh, I mean, kindness. Rather, we should think that we are doing something for, uh, I mean, for good, and also we will get the reward in the hereafter. I mean, that's, that's another kind of uh, thinking, uh, and that's, that helps uh, to act more seriously rather than uh, doing selfishness. And in terms of accountability, I'll say for Islamic finance uh, principle, the accountability is a double accountability. You know, double accountability means uh, we have to be accountable in this world, also in the hereafter. So these two double account accountability really uh, keep us awake up every time, every second. And Islamic, <coughs> Islamic finance principle also care about common goods, you know, and uh, it, it, there is a habit that it, the person is uh, more beloved to the God who is, who is more beneficial for others, you know, who is more beneficial to others is the more criteria for loving to the creator. So this is something I think initiate uh, people in faith uh, that uh, they should be more beneficial for others, for they should respect common goods, public goods, and um, uh, they should care about that environment is one of them, you know. Uh, now I come back to governance aspect and performance in two sides. Governance aspect is um, uh, in terms of Islamic finance, we have to be confirmed that it is according to the guideline. Uh, that means uh, what is the criteria or benchmark to do this, uh, do good, and do not do not do bad bad thing. So this the benchmark should be conformance according to the guidance, and there is an accountability. I told you double accountability, and reporting should be it should be uh, Islamic finance avoid all kind of uncertainty means that it should be uh, transparent. Reporting should be transparent. There should not be any opaque or vague. And the performance, of course, the performance. Um, uh, I mean, we already know from sustainable economy, uh, there are lots of research. They find that when, uh, when the finance is invested for long term, and uh, uh, that creates value uh, when that uh, serves the social purpose, although maybe not in short term, but in medium and long term. There are lots of research paper. They find that in the long run, uh, the payoff is also fine. That means that can create value it, it doesn't mean that the, uh, their performance should be worse. Their performance, they can also run, uh, increase the return and that return should be risk adjusted return. That means they can reduce the risk 
and by, by that way they can perform better or they can create values they can do some innovative issues as well and uh, social responsibility is a part of uh, islamic finance uh, uh, i mean you, you know that uh, social responsibility included a lot of things i think i'll keep it for akmal uh, because he's doing with women empowerment and uh, i'd like to come for uh, I mean, just to know, let you know some technical issues in Islamic finance, mood of finance. Uh, one is uh, the funding source, you know, some source of funding or how, how the charity is maintained. Uh, I, I gave you only jakat and sadaka information before. I'd like to add some more. That means court means that these people can borrow to the poor people with some specific time, but um, uh, uh, I mean, um, without interest. You know, just just for helping others. Or the Hassan, this is another form of mood of finance, Islamic finance. This is something more greater than God that you can, uh, we can borrow someone, or uh, we can lend something to someone with with some without any specific time because we know that person may not be in a position to repay. Uh, we'll wait until uh, uh, the I mean the borrower becomes. Uh, independent or can earn some profit, survive, and they can, then they can repay. So this is something without interest. Sadaka is, of course, this is something without return. It's just just a, a charity, charity, uh, voluntary charity. Wakfu is another kind of um, charity, which means that they, uh, I mean, a specific purpose. Sometimes people donate for a specific purpose, and this can be used for long-term, I mean, source of financing like some people donate for uh, mosques, some people donate for hospitals, some people donate for any public goods, you know, any public goods, they can uh, serve public uh, for a specific purpose, that is called Akfa. And uh, Islam always, Islamic finance, I mean, always encourages this kind of charitable donations. And, uh, you know, the reward is not only here, but also after, afterwards, eternal years. And so that's that's people uh, like you know, and that's why you know you, if you if you survey, I think you will find every in East Ramadan every person has donated at least one hundred pounds. So permissible mode of finance. So permissible mode of finance, I'll say in short because uh, I, I mean it would be uh, very uh, I mean technical for you. Uh, most I mean, I mean the major key issues is that. The Islam, because this discourages interest rate, that's why the form of financing in Islam is profit and loss sharing. And not all, always profit and loss sharing, like Mudaraba here, the finance, I mean, the lender also skip the uh, loss. I mean, if there is any loss that bear by the lender, you know, the financier, because they can bear, they have the capacity. Uh, whereas, the, I mean, the borrower can invest their intellectual capability or entrepreneurship ability and skill. And when, sorry, when that, sorry, ah, so when that is, um, it means that when um, uh, the, uh, I mean, the borrower can repay, uh, uh, under Mudaraba, principle mood of finance, the borrower can repay when they are uh, able to repay something like that, and they can share the profit, but the loss is shared by the lender or surplus unit. Musharaka is similar kind of mood of finance. 
this is something that uh, profit and loss is shared. It's, it's like equity financing, those who have uh, experience with equity financing. And Murabaha is kind of credit sell, uh, but uh, this is, a, I mean, the uh, purchase, uh, this is a kind of purchasing goods and services or some fixed asset, whatever else, with credit cost plus markup profit. Isara is kind of leasing, but there is some difference from conventional leasing that if leasing uh, fail to repay, there will be no charge of compound interest. So these are different kind of mode of finance used for Islamic finance. That's totally different from conventional finance. And the key uh, recovery um, for pandemic, I, I will focus that uh, Islamic finance is backed on asset-backed securities. I mean, those who are expert in finance, they can understand that when uh, something is backed with uh, uh, some asset or some physical thing, that is less risky or that is helpful for crisis to keep resilient, you know? And second issue is redistribution of wealth. And this redistribution of wealth based on some spiritual uh, kind of motivation as well. So uh, this is not something like tax. I mean, when we do wealth tax, sometimes people can uh, get rid of tax somehow uh, with their power and status and political uh, other kind of uh, issues. So this is uh, redistribution of wealth. The number three is ethical screening, uh, which is, uh, you know, do, uh, do not do harmful activities. Uh, like, you know, Islamic finance will be less affected during COVID-19 because uh, they are not interested to, um, I mean, pay for gambling, pay for pub, uh, pay for, uh, you know, unbounded, uh, what we call enjoyment. Uh, this is something uh, Isla Islamic finance doesn't uh, motivate. So I think uh, they will be less affected uh, uh, for, from this COVID recovery. And I'd like to focus on one issue for um, Islamic finance, uh, which is the most current issue is the sustainable growth and green finance. Uh, Islamic finance, you know, in Islamic principle, uh, there is a, a hadith that shows that the people who plant a tree or show a show seeds, uh, no matter if uh, somebody is benefited, maybe animal or uh, people, the person who take from that tree or get benefits from this, it is a charitable act, you know. So the Islamic finance encourages, um, I mean, uh, environment friendly. Uh, I mean, investment and of course, uh, discourages uh, all kind of prohibition, you know, that is also, uh, in, in, I, we can say in ethical finance or ethical banking, they also get rid of this kind of um, investment, which is not good for a uh, human being or, uh, or the, for the uh, planet as well. So Islamic finance is a practice of stewardship in Islam, I mean, that the human being as a, uh, as a super creation uh, should take the responsibility of the planet. And uh, I, I have some recommendation of different mood of finance that could be used uh, for uh, this situation, like Musharaka could be used for uh, small and medium SME financing uh, for uh, during these COVID-19 measures because SME is more affected. So we can, I think as uh, Akmal can talk about this, how, how the, 
Islami is financed nowadays, uh, uh, and uh, how uh, Islamic finance is uh, prescribed for those uh, SMEs. Mudaraba, of course, is a, a kind of, uh, I mean, if you, I mean, by this way, unemployed people can be helped by using Mudaraba, Muda finance, because the rich people can help the poor people, but those who are honest and those who has the ability and integrity, that's, that's the capital, you know, and they can act as a profit and loss sharing. I mean, here loss will be borne by the, I mean, uh, financier, so the people can easily, uh, can uh, I mean uh, uh, get rid of their unemployment status and can change their position in a short term? And I I, I suggest some other. Um, I don't want to go in uh, in total, but there are some called the Hasana and um, Jakat, Wakfo, Sadaka. This can be short term uh, used uh, as a cash for short term uh, helping people um, uh, to get rid of this. Uh, uh, you know, poverty alleviation, especially developing countries and also developed countries. And um, I think that uh, this is something from my part. And I'd like to also share with you if you have any question later. And I'd like to hand over to Akman now. Thank you, Asma. Thank you for covering almost everything. To be, you know, uh, I don't think so. There is much to add on to it. You have covered it very nicely and and uh, overview. Uh, I just from a few points that I just wanted to make very quickly before maybe we open up for Q and A is um, that my interest has in Islamic finance has been like uh, over fifteen years now. And I was very fascinated to be able to look at the value proposition. So um, at the time, early 2000, and, uh, I was in the corporate sector, jetting around the world, seeing all the issues and problems and the inequalities and everything that goes along. And yet, you know, obviously from a corporate structure, there was that privilege that I had in flying and staying and all those areas. But nevertheless, whenever I was landing in any town, any city in the world, whether it has been in Africa or Far East or Southeast Asia, or even in Europe, I could always see a city divided in two. There was that affluent part and there one was a privileged part. And same thing goes all around, you know, uh, from the societal point of view. So I think unconsciously it was just getting into my mind that what can we do to be able to do something to at least reduce the gap. Uh, the challenge is huge. It's, it's, it's a huge uh, aspect that we face and we try to do uh, as much as we can. But how can we do something which could really help the un underprivileged or disenfranchised members of our society. And at that time, Islamic finance became quite a buzz. In fact, Islamic banking became quite a buzz. And um, so I left my job. Uh, I was working for a company in Switzerland, um, you know, 
with factories in Middle East and Singapore and in, in Switzerland, US. And I started looking at the, the options that what could be one of the areas that we could look into. And I came across Islamic finance. So then I went on to study. I went on to, to understand the value proposition. And I, while jetting around the other sort of main capitals like in Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Egypt, Pakistan, um, I could see that there are some models that are being there theoretically, but there isn't much as far as a practical model is concerned, which could actually manifest, could be a manifestation of all that we have, we have got. So I started developing all this uh, model. And the key area that, uh, just to summarize, is that from my point of view, I, I think the key areas that I was trying to address is financial inclusion, uh, social and economic inequality, and eradicating poverty. And when I looked at um, the, the, the SDGs, the, the, the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations, it's not only a one nation issue, but it's a global issue. And compounded with this global issue is this current pandemic. So although before the pandemic, my, my key area has been financial inclusion. And what I wanted to do was to be able to use a, 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 a framework, an ethical framework, a practical framework, uh, about doing something so that we could uh, at least uh, develop a very viable, credible, and trustworthy alternate uh, to the current financial system. Because we could see that in our current financial system, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And this is basically inherent in the system because if we have money, and we go to a bank manager or a financial institution, uh, there is 90% or more chances that we will be able to get that, some additional money to do and overcome maybe a certain gap at that time in our lives. But consider someone who does not have a saving, who does not have the credibility. And to top it all, when I was looking at it, the eligibility even. And this is what really, really made me work very hard in trying to find a solution. Because the eligibility criteria is the major area where 99% of the people fall. And in our research with Cardiff Business School, um, uh, we developed um, a whole hierarchy of financial needs. And uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Jamal, uh, Emma Jamal, we, we developed uh, fo uh, focus groups and research just to understand this financial hierarchy of needs. And this is something which I adapted from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we could see that people have different stages at which they need that finance intervention. Uh, but because they can't get it, because they are not eligible, because they cannot, cannot meet that criteria, that means that they are financially excluded. 
The other thing which I also, in my own experience being an entrepreneur myself, I found that it is very important for the people to be able to access that softer support, which is you know, building up confidence, understanding how the business plan is, how, what are the various areas that we can have developing together uh, as, a, as a marketing strategy, business strategy, financial plans. But the key area to all this community was basically access to finance. And that again became a big, big barrier. And even now, as it is that we stand today, I mean, just the latest figures, you know, I mean, more than 12 million people in UK have, you know, difficulty in access to credit. And more than 300,000 people, they go to these uh, illegal loan sharks, you know, which is compounded interest and everything. So, I mean, the lives, they become real, real um, a challenge, maybe if I can use the way, word misery. Um, and generally, they do not have anyone to turn to. So we started this uh, Sadakat Community Finance. It's an innovative model. And what I have done is in a very simple uh, format is to be able to take these major issues of legibility, of interest, of debt out of the equation. And the way I've done it is to use the philanthropy and benevolence as one of the key revenues of which we can help the people. But in doing so, what is good or innovative about this model that I have come across and founded as uh, ACF, Sadakat Community Finance, is the transformation of the beneficiaries of today into benefactors of tomorrow. What we have seen is that as we help the people, we say to them that, okay, we wouldn't like to charge an interest because it is prohibited. We wouldn't like to put you on debt but you need to grow your organization. And once you have done that, then whatever is affordable in terms of your benevolence or whatever you are thinking in terms of affordability, pay it back as a benefactor into the pot which we can again use to be able to offer our model uh, or, or, or this uh, recycle this money to people uh, starting their micro, small, and medium enterprise. So our focus has been women entrepreneurship in the main and our young people between 18 and 30 uh, as change makers. Uh, so this model has been, uh, you know, very much uh, over the last two years, we have, uh, 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 you know, made lots of improvements in it. And uh, especially we were very, um, uh, fortunate to get some support from Innovate UK to develop a whole banking and finance platform. Uh, the Welsh government supported us now with, uh, in, the, in these past few uh, months to be able to offer the Women Entrepreneurship Program, which is great. Uh, NetWest Group also has been very keen uh, through the Rose um, uh, report, which is, is, is very important for women. Um, and lately, uh, if I can just add um, uh, one of the, the key breakthroughs which we 
just heard about last week was that um, uh, Oxford University, uh, we have been able to access their support uh, through their LIBOR project, uh, which uh, has been taken, ACF, uh, Sadaqa Community Finance model, has been taken up to be supported among the 20 companies for this year that they, they, they had chosen to develop um, healthcare projects, space projects, uh, biomedicine, uh, manufacturing. And we are very pleased that from Wales, uh, ACF has been selected as one of the projects with the Said Business School at Oxford as well. So we are looking forward to that um, support. The key area that they asked me uh, of what I was wanting to, to, to ask for, and I definitely asked for the scale-up uh, uh, strategy as well as the fundraising strategy. So hopefully towards the end of this year, this project is going to be growing in, uh, in, in, in a lot of positive ways. And I'm so happy that we uh, can use the Islamic finance model to be able to help the people who are, have been losing jobs in this pandemic and who are really in a very difficult situation to start their, their businesses. I know there is a lot of funding being up, uh, supported by the UK government, uh, the Welsh government, but the, the challenge is so massive that I personally think that we need to join this uh, challenge, the, the join together to meet this challenge. And the way is to be helping each other, you know, the haves of this world to be helping the have-nots in this shorter or medium term, but then turning them into benefactors again, so that we can grow businesses without debt, without interest, but help them to, to employ, to, to be sustainable. And who knows that there are some very good business, global businesses that we can support. So I think this is generally um, uh, just an overview. Um, I'm very pleased to be joining this uh, uh, inaugural event and to showcase that. I know my colleagues at the business school, um, I mean, especially Rachel and all uh, uh, Calvin. I mean, we have been talking a lot about this project and uh, I'm very grateful for the, to the support uh, to Cardiff Business School and all that we are doing. So it has brought us to this point and now we are looking at the global uh, sort of horizon uh, again making our headquarters in Wales. I mean, that's something which we don't want to move. So thank you very much and thanks for listening. Okay, well, th thank you very much for those very informative uh, talks, uh, very, very perceptive, and uh, I, I learned quite a lot uh, myself. Um, so I'd just like to open it up to questions and I can see one hand there from, uh, Indrajit Ray. Okay. Indra. Right, Hi. Ask a question, Indra. Yes, I was just um, 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 definitely academically not qualified to comment on banking, let alone Islamic banking. Uh, I was wondering uh, how, how does it compare with other uh, rather cooperative uh, efforts 
for example, uh, we had building societies in this country mainly, or cooperative banks in agricultural uh, economies. Uh, I mean, we still have back in Bengal and sure in Bangladesh as well. We have cooperative banks. Um, so, um, how, just I mean, take this question as a very naive question. I honestly don't know how Islamic banking was first initiated or other uh, building societies. Uh, apparently, building society first was introduced in Birmingham uh, that I recently learned. Anyway, so if you if you could just tell us similarities or otherwise between cooperative banks or any cooperation with Islamic banking, please. Asma, you want to respond? Uh, I'll add, you, you can start as a second. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, Indrajit, uh, a wonderful question, a good question um, in terms of uh, um, uh, the building societies, cooperatives, mutuals, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right to pinpoint that. And I think it's, it's a good point that you've raised because this is not new, you know, I mean, when we look at our financial history and um, uh, even before the building societies, if I'm correct and if my history serves me or my memory serves me right, um, you know, there has been these mutuals and cooperatives, and especially from a Wales perspective. I mean, could you imagine that the miners who had so little money to spare, but still that was that comradeship, the mutuality, um, you know, that, that was always there. So that if somebody gets into trouble or has a little adverse uh, um, stage in life, uh, everyone should care. I think it's uh, just uh, when we started um, after the Brentwood, uh, uh, you know, Brentwood uh, agreements, and uh, we started looking at only um, the the sort of the financial institutions. When things started, uh, you know, traveling from mutuality towards singularity, or perhaps just an institutional profitability, and I think that's the infrastructure, but. Having said that, I think uh, these all people, are, obviously uh, building societies have changed a lot over time, you know, into sort of doing more or less the same thing as the financial institutions mainstream are doing. But, um, you know, there is room for it. There is uh, a huge, huge demand for it. And um, I mean, I have always been inspired by uh, Ivan Bavin, who, you know, who started NHS. And I, I believe that in Wales, we are very much geared towards starting a economic, uh, uh, you know, global proposition on mutuality and, uh, and going back to basics. So I think the, the situation is demanding. Uh, there's not only one organization, a few organizations can do it. I think it, it, the whole mindset needs to be based towards our society and responsibility. And I think the model that I've come across is that I'm trying to engage the, the corporate world into uh, streamlining or funneling their corporate social responsibility towards helping people to start their micro, small and medium to medium enterprises. So I think that could be the first step towards, at least that's what I, would like to see that the corporate world actually understands their responsibility, uses their 
corporate social responsibility in the best way that we can do to, to get financial inclusion. But absolutely, I mean, throughout the world, there is a huge, huge demand for that. Yeah, I think I'd like to add uh, to Indra that uh, this is a ethical investment. This is not something not uh, new, only, not only Islamic finance. I think it started from religious belief, uh, from different, dif different religious belief. You know, it's not necessarily uh, Muslim or Islam. Uh, I think uh, this ethical investment is a long, long history. So uh, cooperative is one of, uh, I mean, the joint process. And I think, uh, Still, we have to think about individual micro level. I think uh, there is a uh, an inclusion of micro micro level and individual level helping, uh, which is more essential at this uh, stage. Which is not, I think, uh, that must address within those cooperative form. And uh, I think uh, Islamic finance can now uh, come up with their funding, you know, especially from charity funding to uh, help individually. I mean, what Ak Akmal says that uh, unemployment, of course, uh, th this can come as a um, partnership form on joint, joint venture form or in, in a different form, uh, which could be uh, a, I mean, kind of cooperative form as well. Ian, Ayn. Um, I think Aslan had a, a question before I did, so I'll let him go first if that's okay. Uh, hi, um, I just wanted to say it's a very, very uh, informative and very good webinar, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Long for organising this. Um, I have a question uh, to the panel in general. Um, according to um, Tony Wood uh, from, uh, from the Centre of uh, Regulatory Strategy, uh, from the Deloitte uh, Regulatory Outlook of COVID, he says that, you know, current regulation is not enough. We need to create cultures that deliver good customer outcomes and embrace, uh, and embrace social purpose in financial institutions. Now, can Islamic finance be the solution? Can Islamic finance provide this cultural change and you know, social purpose? Thank you. Yes, uh, I'd like to take this. Uh, actually, the principle of Islamic finance is actually to change the culture from individual level to the, uh, I mean, uh, group level or um, uh, to the country level. So it start from the individual level, and I, I told you that ethical uh, ethical issues is very very important to develop uh, within ourselves, and when we are uh, motivated ethically or spiritually then we can actually do a lot. Uh, and when uh, some people with ethical uh, motivation can join uh, together, they can change the society. So we need people as a human capital. Uh, and I think Islamic finance can play a role there. Yeah, could, could I add uh, what Asma, what you said? Um, I think it's 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 a very good question in terms of the regulation, um, Arsalan. Um, what I feel is that, you know, when we are looking at Islamic finance, um, although I've just mentioned the basic core model, there are different um, uh, contractuals and different areas that can Islamic finance can play a very good. Uh, 
role in, in developing that. Now, I think that what we are hearing, if we are looking at the media, we are all talking about leveling up. That's the kind of the buzzwords that you'll be seeing. Uh, it's uh, providing a, a level playing field, leveling up, uh, uh, and it is, it is basically to be able to uh, bring the people. And we have seen that in the, the recent pandemic. I mean, I think the outpour of benevolence and generosity that we have experienced during this last 15 months, it's amazing. And somehow we feel where has this all been? You know, I mean, we haven't created something new as a problem. The problem or the issue or the challenge was always there. It's actually the addressing of these people. And uh, to be honest, I mean, I used to maybe think that, you know, the chancellor is coming up with billions of pounds and this government is coming and that government is coming. And I was kind of wondering where has all this money been, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's really there to help our people. I think the question then is that what kind of institutions do we need to be able to deliver what that money can actually make an impact? And I think that's where that institutionalization needs to be there. People like us, like different institutions who are doing uh, good work amongst our communities if they need to be supported, the third sector needs to be supported to be able to help the people. Because I think um, in my work for so many years, I have long forgotten that we need the governments to do and take the initiative. I think it's beyond them. They can create a uh, an environment, an enabling environment, but it is basically leadership like us, all of us, to start in different ways to be able to help our communities and institutionalize it. So I think the regulation from my point of view would be to how we can help and you know, uh, this money actually goes to the right people with the right thinking, with the right objectives so that we can have a greater social economic impact. I think that's what is important because if the, the government can provide an enabling environment, but they do not have the resources to deliver. So I think that's where that join up needs to be done. And uh, that's where that gap is from my perspective. And then the biggest uh, players is our civil society, our corporate players, our you know, general public to be able to support those kinds of, of things. And I think if we do it in the right way, uh, we can make a difference. And of course, I mean, academic uh, research, academic uh, archiving, uh, doing papers, showcasing good examples, because that's also one area that if we go to the government to be able to say that, okay, this is the regulation that we, they would like to see some evidence. And this is where, uh, when we start, there is always difficulty, but uh, hopefully we will be overcoming it. So it's a good question from a regulation, but I think we just need to make sure that 
that regulation is supportive for people who are actually wanting to do some good work. So, I'd like uh, to add, I'd like to add with Akmal, you know, when backless bank library scandal happens, regulation was there, you know, regulation was there, but who, who I mean, broke the regulation, I mean, I mean, doesn't uh, follow the regulation was the CEO that doesn't follow the regulation in the bank's culture, uh, you know, bank's employ internal governance and uh, we can say other stuff as well. So it's a holistic issue and regulation only comes to solve the serious problem. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Kent? Um, Oh, thank you very much. A very informative, um, uh, Asma. I, I liked your quotation from um, uh, Adam Smith's theory of moral sentiments, because there's, of course, a difference of two Adam Smiths. There's the wealth of nations, Adam Smith, and there's the theory of moral sentiments. And I always interpret the, uh, the wealth of nations as the description of, of what is, whereas the theory of moral sentiments is describing what should be. And now you've been talking about what should be, and I'm thinking that in terms of policy, which is the better, the, the theory of moral sentiments or the wealth of nations? Because if we start from the base assumption, and I don't mean base in the sense of base base, I mean base in terms of attitude, that people are selfish uh, and that they are, um, they're thinking about their self-interest, which is what the precepts of the wealth of nation was, then we get positive economics and we use that um, to guide policy. It's not through um, a, a sort of uh, altruism that um, you know, the butcher and the baker give you your breakfast, but it's through self-interest. But we can use that in a, in a way to nudge direction, people in certain directions. Whereas what it seems to me that Islamic finance is offering is a, what should be as opposed to what is, and um, and 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 there's there's a divorce there in in that thinking. And I want to give you an example of this because I was at an Islamic banking conference in Lahore uh, some years ago when uh, a, a PhD student um, gave a paper where she estimated the elasticity of substitution between Islamic bank accounts and conventional bank accounts. And she found, never mind how she did it, but she found a very high elasticity of substitution, meaning to say that they're almost perfect substitutes. But they shouldn't be. If it's Pakistan's an Islamic country, they should be imperfect substitutes. You should, you should prefer Islamic bank account to a non-Islamic one. But what she had described was what is, as opposed to what should be. So, what should we, what message should we take away from that? Thank you, Kans. I'd like to take your two questions first, before Akmal. Uh, the first issue is, you know, regarding we, we human beings play different role in different places, you know? Like we are playing honest with our mother, but we are not playing honest with our friends and other, other people sometimes. So if I gave you a questionnaire for different perspective, you will find conflicting answer. So people, we are behaving differently in different places. That's the first thing, you know? 
And um, that's why you can find Adam Smith uh, playing different uh, statements in different, uh, different theory. Uh, I think uh, here, if we want to stick on one guidance or uniform guidance is helpful. And I think Islamic finance is uh, based on, uh, I mean, only one single guidance uh, that is from the holy book. But uh, I'll, I'll agree with you regarding Islamic bank, uh, less substitute, I mean, uh, I mean, going ahead with the flow, market flow because of competition, uh, as a, because of lack of expertise or because of just uh, hiding with the conventional banks, they want to just compete. Uh, uh, by that way, actually, uh, we have some paper, you know, I, I, I am working with Arman and uh, my husband, Sobur. In this paper, we find the synergy, you know, synergies between conventional banks and uh, Islamic banks is very high. Is because of, you know, they are just um, mimicking each other. They are not uh, following the principle in practice that should be Akmal, you can take it. Right, thank you, Isma. Um, yeah, Ken, thank you so much. Uh, a wonderful question. Um, I do remember uh, that meeting in Lahore as well, when we were there at that Islamic finance conference. Uh, I totally agree in that uh, sense when it comes to uh, the elasticity of substitution, which is absolutely right when we look at it, because my experience also is that if we are looking at the banking side of it, then more or less you will find in the infrastructure, in the nomenclature, in the banking regulations, in the, uh, the practices that you've got, you will find that that elasticity is nearly equal to each other. And hence, when I look at the banking side, this is where a lot of the people have not been able to come up and use the banking areas as it should be, as mentioned in Islamic finance. And it's very much related to risk sharing. That's all, that is all to it. If these banks, whether conventional or Islamic, if they start looking at risk in a very different way, then you will find that things will start moving, not what uh, Adam Smith wanted as it were or as it is, when we look at the banking side, that is it, how it will look like as what we are seeing today and the gaps therein. However, when we look at the finance side of things, and this is where the difference between uh, Islamic banking and finances, the finance, we've got a huge overarching instruments, which none of these banking uh, uh, institutions use because it has got to do with risk. It's got to do with eligibility. It has got to be collateral, securitization, all that kind of stuff that we are seeing at the moment. So when we look at that, you will see that there is a lot of the people who will not be very comfortable with the Islamic banking as it were in, in, in terms of the conventional uh, replica or things like that. And hence, that's why they're struggling. 
But when you look at the financial instruments, there's plenty. And I think Asma has just mentioned a few of the instruments. And that's what gives us that space to allow that value proposition to come in, which is very much close to what people are looking for. And that ethical framework, it is not about making money because Islamic finance is all about free market. It's all about profit. It's all about making uh, employments and investment and expansion and growth. Where it differs is that what you do with that money once you have earned it. Do we invest it in offshore companies? Do we invest it and just make interest on it? Or we do projects and real economy which means creating employment, creating bricks and mortars, creating infrastructure projects, which can make more money. So that's where those risks are coming through. That's where those returns. Generating wealth is not an issue in Islamic finance, but what you do with this wealth is very important. That's the key area where we need to be able to do that. And hence this, uh, the instruments that we've got in terms of the uh, sadaqat and the zakat and uh, loan and kars and all, all these financial instruments, they are all at different stages which can be utilized for the betterment of our communities. But again, I mean, you have raised a huge area, Kent. <laughs> Obviously, it will be lovely to have a discussion with you separately offline. Zero. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Asma and uh, Akmo. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the presentation. I have two uh, very quick questions. Uh, the first is that I'm very interested in, in, in that um, one kind of lending with Islamic uh, finances that they don't charge uh, an interest rate. Um, so my first question would be that, um, is there a way um, of preventing arbitrage? For example, can I borrow without interest rate and lend immediately uh, to make an, 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 an um, instant profit. And second, uh, so I mean, not second, uh, but, uh, and also interest rate is um, uh, in conventional finance is, is, a, is, is, a, is a, a compensation to risk. So uh, when interest rate is not charged, can this attract a moral hazard? Uh, so, so that uh, it attract a very, bad or not very promising uh, project, but they still borrow money. And in the end, they default. Uh, this may cause a, even um, a bigger uh, loss to the whole society. So this is my first question. Uh, what, uh, is there a, a way to, um, can, can this be a problem when uh, interest rate is not charged? Um, the second is that, uh, is, is a question. Uh, is there a limitation of accessibility uh, to Islamic finance. For example, can everyone borrow from um, an institution if there is, there is one um, Akmal just mentioned, maybe it's something like the World Bank. Uh, I mean, who gains access to uh, Islamic finance in general? Thank you. Akmal, do you want to take it first? Okay, I can take it. Yeah, yeah you go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, the first question is, you know, arbitrage and other uh, other stuff that people can make. Uh, we can say moral hazard, but you know, 
uh, that people can exploit this uh, opportunity. And uh, I, I assume that uh, in Islamic finance, we we should be, uh, we should uh, do transaction based on honesty and trust and amana. And uh, this is something, of course, if somebody I mean do kind of uh, uh, I mean um, how do you, I mean break up the rule, they can do. But uh, actually, um, this should not be the ideal situation of Islamic finance. I mean, they should trust people and the people who take it should is based on that they are honest and their honesty is, is their capital, you know? So honesty uh, and morality is actually uh, a sincerity, working hard, these are capital. So we, we, we consider those as an entrepreneurship skill, you know, and uh, as a human capital. But it, it can happen, you know, yeah, I, I can say I, I maybe uh, Akmal can give his practical experience because uh, he's dealing with the institution. And your second question was relating to uh, what I, I forgot. Uh, can you just give me accessibility, a, accessibility, accessibility. Oh, it depends, actually. Uh, uh, and, you know, Islamic finance can be individual level. It, it's not necessarily in financial institution level. I can say you that um, all Muslim people during Ramadan, they help their relatives. I mean, this is their moral obligation. The poor relatives should be served first. So if every people, every family served their poor relatives, I think uh, they can cover a lot of people. And uh, not necessarily, and of course, Islamic bank is one of the institutions and also microfinance, you know, Islamic microfinance. Uh, I think um, Akmal will tell that more. Uh, this is social finance. They are doing with some uh, people who are socially, I mean, they don't have access of access in funding. And of course it depends on the fund, donation fund and other stuff, the accessibility. Yeah, Akmal. Uh, thank you, uh, Zirong. Um, yeah, I think uh, accessibility again, um, uh, there are patches, as I was mentioning to you, there are certain uh, institutions that are doing different uh, sort of causes for different areas, and, but this is very limited. Um, I think uh, your question about the World Bank or a, a financial institution would be, I mean, the closest we have is Islamic Development Bank in Jeddah. Um, they have put in almost like a $1 billion capital now uh, to be able to help people in this pandemic uh, as it is. Uh, again, what are the criterias or what are the areas that they're helping? But there is uh, quite quite a lot of uh, uh, that, that, that we could, you know, um, be utilizing. But again, you know, I mean, um, looking at the massive scope of things, you know, a billion dollars is, 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 well, it is, a drop in an ocean. It's, it's, it's a positive thing. But um, I think, as I was saying to you, the, the, the challenge is huge. Um, so if we are looking at institutions and different kinds of institutions, then they would definitely like to have that, um, uh, you know, uh, different ways of working. But they, you know, as I said, the financial hierarchy of needs, now, this is very interesting, which uh, we actually adapted from Maslow. And the main thing is that this accessibility that you're talking about is coming at very different stages. 
it comes from a very basic point of opening up a bank account where either the benefits are coming or the salary is coming or you know you're paying out the bills and all that and as slowly people grow they start want to buy a car they want to have a, a, a you know a car finance loan a, a car finance a housing insurance business security so it keeps on building up and as we go and see the pyramid growing up you will see that that accessibility needs are growing yeah so what i i was discussing this was a very basic um, element of our general communities but what i was uh, seeing also is that um, the people at different times of their lives they have got different needs so to 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 get that question in one kind of a financial institution i think it would be difficult at this stage but having said that different countries are doing different things um so coming to your first question in terms of arbitrage for example um you know i mean obviously the it all depends on how these banks are doing or financial institutions are doing but generally you will see that islamic finance would back asset based projects that's where the key is because it's again as i was mentioning to you about risk it's the islamic finance is all about risk sharing risk and reward sharing so if people are wanting to um you know take this and invest and come back and all that i think the banks or anybody who is going to be giving them uh, that financial support is going to see what kind of projects there are and since it is not going to be their money i mean we have, we have seen an example of subprime mortgages in the financial crisis people are uh, again have to use this money as trustees you know the banks or financial people who are wanting to give this is not their money they have to be prudent they have to have systems pragmatic about it that this money is being utilized properly so if there is an asset based project this would be uh, on the top priority so i hope this will maybe get give you a I mean, in short, I think there is, of course, shortage of accessibility. You know, uh, oh yes, there is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a question on the chat. I am not so sure if I saw it, but it just glanced. Is uh, I think Kent was mentioning about a second chance for somebody with a bad credit rating or something like that. Is it? Uh, yes, uh, yes. I'm just having a chat with other people here about this because. All right. um, because what I'm asking is that if a if a if a borrower you know uh, borrowed for a highly a risky project and it failed, uh, and it was it was done in 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 good faith in the sense that it was risky but innovative, uh, and it failed, uh, would they get a second chance? Absolutely, absolutely. But then is, then that we get back to the problem of moral hazard because other people can see that oh, I can go for a risky project. I if it fails, I don't pay anything. If it succeeds, I share the profit. That's great. And so you're going to get a lot of risky people coming up for your loans. And you'll soon find that the bank has got a high uh, preponderance of, of risky uh, loans on their, on, their, on their portfolio. Is that the uh, right I, thing? 
Yeah, and I think that that is exactly where I was saying that the, the bankers or the, the financial institutional trustees, they have to be very careful in trying to finance projects which are there. And that's why that asset based is, is a security, you know, in that sense that although they, they, it's not a 100% loss, there would be about 60, 70, 50%, whatever is recoverable. So, but the main thing is that Islamic finance is all about profit and loss. And this is where I'm coming back to you from a bank's point of view, that it is the risk that you need to share. It has to be profit and loss, provided it's not negligence, provided it is not uh, something, you know, which uh, they have been, you know, intentionally doing it or whatever. But I mean, there is going to be profit and there's going to be loss. And the investors, they know it. And the people who are going to, to be able to invest or take the return have to know about it. And this is the beauty about Islamic finance, you know, that it has to be based on profit and loss. If everyone, if there is a gain, it's gain for everyone. If it's a loss, it's a shared risk as well. I'd like to add here, you know, normal, I mean, in Islamic bank is not the ideal form nowadays is because of, you know, they have to work with a different regulatory environment, which is not totally uh, Islamic in sense, rather than I think uh, Islamic microfinance institutions are doing better to serve this um, financial inclusivity, those who don't have uh, access to bank. Can I ask a question? Yes, William. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I mean, I do not know. I do not know much about this this area, but it's very interesting. I remember coming across some people try to use sort of rationality, try to explain why we have morals. Um, you know. Um, so in, a, in, in that sense, you know, is there a, a moral reason or is there a rational reason why charging interest rate is not a good thing? I'll say, uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, when, it is, when it is within moral reason, it should come also rational at the consequence uh, because um, moral reason is, uh, you know, when you are uh, charging interest and, uh, uh, you can see the real picture uh, in, in practice that people, people are don't, I mean, when you have a credit card, we don't care about debt. We take unrestricted, I mean, we, we just think, okay, we'll pay later, we'll pay later in a way that it becomes a burden at, at the end. And that's, that's the basic reason that you shouldn't go for loan unnecessarily. And, uh, if we start interest rate in a way that, uh, I mean, ultimately it becomes uh, unbounded, uh, what we call uh, uh, consumption or unbounded uh, enjoyment. And I mean, which is uh, eventually make a dead, uh, dead log, I say, uh, which encourages more and more debt. And, um, and uh, eventually uh, people, uh, who cannot manage the return back, compound interest become again burden for them. So it's something actually according to the guidance. And if we look at the real, real economic situation, we also find uh, that the 
this is something practical we can observe in the economy that uh, uh, nowadays, if you look uh, all American or all developed country, we'll find all of them have debts, you know, mortgage, car uh, here and there, even they cannot pay and then future generation needs to take care of that. So this is, I, I think, uh, comes from moral and becomes rational as a consequence. Akmal. Yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, well, I think just quickly add to it, I'm conscious of time. Uh, this is a, a whole new uh, debate, which actually rational and rationality and the morality. But when we look at interest from that point of view, um, I think we just need to understand that this interest, the, the reason why it is morally not accepted in Islamic finance is because of the exploitative nature of interest. And the reason behind it is that Islamic finance does not take money as a commodity. The interest actually starts when you treat money as a commodity. From an Islamic finance perspective, money is not a commodity, but a medium of exchange. And that has to be risked with capital, with, I mean, as a capital, land and labor, and obviously expertise, the management, all the principles of an enterprise. When these four ingredients get together at an appropriate level, the capital owner or the person who is bringing the money does not have an automatic right to uh, dictate that because I brought the money, that's why I take 10% uh, interest. All the concept of Islamic finance is that the labor, the, in, uh, the, the land, the capital, all has to be put in a pot together. They have to risk that. And if that enterprise makes a profit, it makes for everyone. The trouble with interest is that if you, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, I just was reading uh, uh, the Secretary General's uh, uh, speech recently at uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, um, event uh, a couple of months ago. And he's, he was saying that the trouble with us is that there are people who are on super yachts and then the others, they are just hanging by a, 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 a sort of a floating wood. You know, this is the difference where, where interest is created. And hence, this becomes like a moral issue. When we look at the morality and the rationality, now look at the rationality side of it for almost like, I think, eight to 10 years. Look at the interest rate, the base interest rate that has been charged. It's just either quarter of percent or a half a percent, which is neither here nor there. Maybe it's just an administrative charge. But to grow the economy or slow down the economy or to do things which it is, this becomes a lever. So we could discuss it in both rationality terms and the morality terms, but in the main, the interest is because the, the, it's the vulnerability of the people. You know, for example, we are, I'm not even talking about compound interest, but when you look at the compound interest, you will be amazed. I mean, look at the credit cards, the APRs, for example. I mean, every time a person would pay in 
um, a money, which is sort of the, the minimum monthly payment that they want to do. I mean, can you imagine there was a, a research that I was seeing that $10,000, how, how long do you think you will pay if you only pay the minimum, minimum amount of money that is, is it required? I mean, take a guess how much, how many years would it take to return it back? It's interest only. I mean, there is a Nobel Prize winner, Alas Moody, somehow, uh, who, who prescribed 0% interest rate and 2% uh, tax for crisis. You know, he's a Nobel Prize winner. And that goes with Islamic finance rule. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like, 30 years, you know, it takes to, to pay only if you're paying minimum amount. You're not paying the capital, you're just paying the interest. Because the interest is, you know, you keep on compounding, keep on paying, and that capital doesn't get reduced. So, you know, the, the interest of debate, I mean, I can go long because I studied quite a lot of it, of the interest and why I'm so convinced of the, the model that we have come across is that people uh, are not exploited, they are not put in debt, and it does not give them an automatic right to, to make money from money, because that's a commodity. Okay, so quite, quite, it's very interesting. It's something, something food for thought, really. Thank you. Thanks, Rune. thank you. Oh, I, I, I think we're coming to the end, but is there a last question for, uh, does anybody have? A thought in terms of the principles that Asma outlined, it seems to me that even within a project, there are going to be trade-offs between, say, the, the principle of stewardship and benevolence. So you, you can build social housing, but that involves production of a lot of concrete, which is really bad for the environment. And I just wondered how those sorts of trade-offs between these different aspects of what Islamic finance should be about are managed in practice? I think a, a, a brilliant question, Ian, because uh, as, as, uh, is, as trustees of the planet, we all have a duty towards, and I mean, I would say not only moral, but a religious duty from an Islamic finance perspective to be able to use materials, to be able to use wherever we can, not to damage the planet, uh, the, the planet and I think you're absolutely right that, I mean, as we go along, and this is why, you know, Islamic finance encourages these kinds of investments to be able to develop new products, uh, you know, uh, innovative products, uh, do things which are environmental friendly, uh, innovate, educate, and do different kinds of, of uh, uh, engineering products, you know, to be able to come that. And all of these things need finance. So people who can, you know, invest in these kinds of projects, and this is the sort of the tier three that we are developing now, uh, to be able to look at these kinds of, uh, you know, wider infrastructure areas of travel, uh, of uh, um, looking after the planet, about uh, agriculture, organic, uh, all those kinds of things. So I think you're absolutely right that. I think this will never be complete. Be completed. Uh, it's not about money only, but it is that quadruple bottom line or triple bottom line in terms of that uh, environmental and social uh, uh, protection and 
and, and all those areas that people need to be innovative and think of new areas. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think sustainable development goal nowadays, what they're doing now, you know, re reducing uh, economic growth, like Z20 picture, nobody now uh, interested for that, rather than they're thinking about making, you know, a sustainable growth. You know, sustainable growth means that uh, they are not thinking, uh, I mean, uh, thinking about just increasing the GDP. And I think Islamic finance is something who is bounded getting up, you know, reese and reese and reese. The thing that those people, these are people should, sorry, these are people should be the person, you know, uh, who is nominated from, uh, as an amana or trustee uh, from whatever we say, Lord, God, creator. They have more responsibility. The more you have, the more, you ha uh, more responsibility you have. And you should do that I mean, voluntarily, it's not something that, uh, uh, I mean, regulation will force you to do it. It's, you, it's our responsibility. If I am rich, I, I have the more responsibility. And I think that's, that's the Islamic finance. Thing. Sorry. Oh, yeah, you've got mute, asthma. Yeah, I, because my husband is calling. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, I think we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. <laughs> Uh, it's scheduled to finish now, and uh, it's been a very interesting talk. I have three questions written down. As chairman, you have to have questions in case it all goes quiet. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to ask those questions, but I'll ask Asma later on. Um, and yeah. uh, I'd like to thank uh, Amal as well for coming along and, and talking so well. So, so, so thank you. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. It's been a- Yeah, I'll be happy success. to uh, make another personal conversation. No worries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. That, that, that's fine. And uh, so, 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 so thank, thank you very much for coming along and uh, it's been very good. So, okay. Mm -hmm.